uh, everyone. Uh, welcome to Manufacturing Hub with me, Dave, and this guy down here, Vlad. Uh, we are very happy to welcome John Pillar uh, on episode 31 uh, to the show. Again, we're talking about DevOps and industrial automation. And without further ado, welcome to the show, John. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. So as, as we were talking about, um, as everyone was coming in, you have a very interesting background. Do you want to tell everyone uh, what you spent the first 10 or so years of your career working on? Sure. So after uh, graduation, uh, after college graduation, I intended on being a uh, <clears throat> electrical contractor. I figured I was going to do power and electrical contracting. That was kind of the family background. That was where we were at. I started at uh, down in Houston, Texas as eighth largest electrical contractor in the nation. I was the uh, right under chief estimator and it was going to be the Aaron Parrott for that, uh, that group. Um, things happened. Texas wasn't for me. I moved back home to Indiana. And so I reached into my, uh, my controls training a little bit from college. We had a couple little bit of controls in my uh, degree at Purdue and using my uh, building construction background um, I started with a company called integrator.com out of uh, just north of Indianapolis, Noblesville. It's now called Stanley Security Solutions, but uh, we built jails and uh, jails are just machines that hold people. So as, as you like to say, I was in and out of jail for, for 10 years or so in some form or another. I got to go home every night. That was the cool. Well, <laughs> I actually stayed over a few times because because you know work, but yeah, it, it, I, I could have left if I wanted to. Um, and the other little piece is that red wire to yellow wire unlocks door, but you're you're you got to get to that wire. So there is a color code. Um, <laughs> Interesting. Uh, you heard it here, folks. Red wire to yellow wire. The difficult part is getting to the wires. There you go. What I would imagine that that's very difficult to get to them, John. Yeah, you, generally speaking, if you're the one of the customers, you're on the wrong side of that door. Yeah, and it's it's three eighths inch of you know plate steel. So, yeah. I'd be I'd be curious to know. I guess so. Control systems in jail is it primarily to hold like cells closed, or is there a lot more to it uh, than that? Right, because there's a lot of probably I don't know time based openings. There's a lot of uh, like controls that you can also watch like certain cameras screens like what have you there's and there's also it's not just opening and closing a door obviously there's like feedback probably there's uh, sensors and whatnot right sure so <clears throat> the first answer is it's it's not process control it is just digital on off stuff but mm -hmm. the main controls are doors intercoms cameras that kind of a system so so any facility had that and and i was actually talking with uh, one of the guys that are on my team now about process control lines that we're doing today and, and kind of coming back to the jail. When, when I do machine learning and when I do the stuff that I do today, we'll get to eventually when we start talking here. The fact of the matter is the machine was already working before I got there and I'm adding, I'm adding capacity and automation and skill to it, right? I'm making it a little bit better, a little bit easier for the operator. Same deal happens with the jail, right? There's still mechanical doors. There's still giant brass keys in, in those, the brass keys that you see on the movies. And you're like, there's no way that's what that is. It is absolutely a brass key. That's about that long, about that thick with the really weird cut to unlock these things. There's only three types of doors, 
two types of swing doors and it's the way the, the mechanism and camming works on them and then a slider door. Um, and then as far as feedback goes, you could have single indication doors, dual indication doors. <clears throat> so you had what we call door position switch, doors in the frame. And then you had lock, lock status switch that said that the bolt is actually, it's bolted locked. So, or you could have those series together as a single input back. You could have those as two inputs back. You could have just door indication. You didn't normally just have lock indication, right? Uh, but uh, along that way, and then we had icons that showed exactly that. We had a door icon that would, it would show open. It would show closed and red if the door was in the frame, but not locked and closed and gray when the door was locked, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and I got to preface all this. This was going on. We were doing this. We were doing Wonderware in touch screens. We were doing, we built our own homebrewed SQL server. And I say we, I mean, you know, the team that we were at, we had uh, data management, logging of, of all activity, passwords, prox cards, and, and, you know, all of that was managed by who could unlock door what, you know, all across the board. So we had a full, if you will, homebrewed MES that we were doing along the way. It was just in the jail, right? What was um, the control system of choice? Is, is it like a specialty system designed for jails or was it like Rockwell no, Siemens? I, I started with uh, PLC fives and slick IO. Um, and then we upgraded to uh, logics platform and we used a hell of a lot of device net and remote IO pieces. So I had it, it that's what it was all across the board. And it was all in, it was an industrial solution to, to that, that condition. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You you not you don't always realize, you know, some of these I would say like real world applications that are not industrial in nature use the same components, right? Like we Absolutely. talked uh, with Dave. I think we had a couple of guests talk about roller coasters and just yep. rides in general, and that's all. Um, it's all on industrial controls. But it's interesting to know that jails, I guess, as well leverage the same systems. Yep, and and you uh, you go. I mean, I had the largest system I had. It was in, in Northern Illinois, in Rock, Rockford, Illinois, Winnebago County. It had day rooms A through H with mezzanine, so two floors, A through H. And we had over 40 PCs that were touch points. So, and it was all direct, direct connect. And so they had the PL, the PCs were in, in day rooms. And I had, I built that whole network, had that whole thing set up. And you have fallback plans, right? So in, in their case, on the third floor, it fell back to third floor control. And when third floor control shut down, it fell back to central control. But central control can unlock everything. And it actually, central control number one could unlock everything. And central control two, three, and four always fell back to central control one. And we had that whole setup. I mean, it was it, it was quite massive. As I look back at it, you know, I was thinking, we're just building jails. So let's move on. But it was a really cool... Um, we were doing crazy stuff before we were supposed to be doing that kind of crazy stuff, right? I mean, there... I, we, we set up, we set up Telnet. So you had to have all those screens on all 40 of those machines. And we ended up setting up Telnet and we built what we called the commander whisperer, our, our, our touchscreen gateways or Dells at the time mm -hmm. we called them commanders and we called it the commander whisperer. And we would, we would use one place where we changed the whole in touch, everything, you know, all the screens that was mm -hmm. master control, central control. And at the end of the night, when we were done testing or actually at, yeah, at the end of the night, we were done testing because you have to test it when people aren't there. Um, we we would then run the 
the uh, the Commander Whisperer, and it opened up Telnet and rebooted every every machine, you know, as it ran. And we we loaded all the software, went on to the next one because it took three hours to move that across all forty of those machines across the board. And you didn't want to do that, so we automated it. Was there a governing body that um, you know kind of told you how things need to be done, or was it all like built in house and you had to figure out like I guess like some some of the things that you mentioned is redundancies, right? And well, so there, it must have been like some kind of a requirement either by the customer or a body that tells you that it is what's uh, what's needed. It's a building, so the architect. Okay. Um, it, it was construction site, right? You know, we, we laugh. I was in and out of jail, right? But most of the time it was a construction site. There, you know, we had to do service. And so, yeah, then there were customers that served when they were, you know, when the machine building was live. Um, but generally speaking, we were building a new building and it was an architect. So there was an architect spec. And that's why my, my electrical contracting background was useful because you have to, I, I mean, it was building a building and it was a contractor in building a building. I had to go to the Friday morning meetings in the trailer and sit there and listen to the drywallers, yell at the landscapers, yell at the painters, yell at the electricians, all that, all that process that goes on in building a building. And then along with it, put automation and controls there. And so what have you been doing since, since you got out of jail? <laughs> since I got out of jail. Yeah. So, so after that, um, as, as you probably can guess, nobody puts jails where you really want to go. So I was traveling, but you know, we didn't go cool places. Um, so my wife and I wanted to, uh, my, you know, we got married, we wanted to settle down. So we moved back home to Northern Indiana. So I'm basically in South Bend, um, I'm a suburb of that, but, uh, I started doing just electrical controls for a while in this space, started up my own uh, consulting for a little bit, worked for a company that was a startup and I didn't really pay attention to how cool it was that I was working for a startup at this point. I don't know if I mentioned this to you, Dave, but it was called Mnet and now it's called, I can't even pronounce it. It starts with an X. They got bought. So it was yeah. a good thing. Luis got bought out, but uh, Mnet was a startup came out of Notre Dame that put, uh, intelligence into sewer systems. And so I was working with them on putting flow flow measuring devices. They weren't controlling, but they were measuring and mapping the flow of the sewer system. And South Bend sewer system has over 170 points of measure, which makes it the smartest sewer system in, in the nation. Um, so I was helping them do that, starting up my own consulting and uh, then professor of mine, Professor Mike Jacob. So some people may know him at uh, Purdue. Gave me a call and gave me an offer I couldn't refuse. He said, give me your resume and I'll hire you as a prof. So in 2011, <clears throat> I started teaching as uh, the controls and, and power guy. Uh, my entire master's um, group all retired that year. And so I replaced three individuals for controls and power. Wow. in the uh in the proffer, professor realm there in west lafayette uh, oh, wait did you move back to uh your university yeah. was uh okay so yeah okay. so so i moved and wife and son brand new son and house were still up here in northern indiana and uh i spent a year in west lafayette teaching starting up learning how to be a professor and there are extensions all over south bend or all over the state called the statewide location that the uh, Purdue Polytechnic College of Technology at Purdue has. It's one of the extensions of, of being 
uh, a state university and somebody retired in South Bend. So I said, why don't you move me up there and get somebody to hired into West Lafayette? Uh, there's that, you know, Notre Dame up there in South Bend. So it's kind of easier for, for Purdue to recruit for West Lafayette position. And I already had a house and a baby and a wife. So in 2012, I started my permanent, my position in West La in South Bend, professor from West Lafayette existing in South Bend. So kind of an ambassador. And at that point, um, it was me and two other electrical professors, a mechanical professor and uh, a, a IT industrial technology professor. And uh, we had four-year degrees that we were teaching. So at that point I, I signed up for, I have 35 differently named courses by the time I retired that I had taught or retired, but, you know, moved on to the next spot. So yeah, well, I not taught everything. one concurrent time, right? Like what? No, 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 courses, no. A, but but <laughs> but thirty five different named courses. So I taught everything from here's your freshman one hundred one class, here's your Ohm's law class, to senior design stuff and process control and and uh, PLCs and and all of that, and then across the board to the. And I actually brought mechanical. I brought uh, manufacturing engineering technology as a degree up here to South Bend. So. Um, and all and and my title. So this is important too, kind of to my story. I was not a a research professor. I was a clinical professor. Mm -hmm. So, I what that means in academic aspects is that I um didn't have to go get grants. I didn't have to go do research. My job as a clinical was to bring industry into the into the lab, bring industry into the lecture room, and have real hands-on knowledge of what's going on. It's kind of equivalent to in it. The, the clinical doctors that are teaching you in the, the teaching ER space, right? You know, what are we doing today? I don't know what gunshot wound comes in today. That's what we're gonna learn on. So that's what I was doing. Um, so to that end, I continued with my uh, consulting group. Um, I was blessed in the fact that South Bend only taught from Monday to Thursday. So I had Fridays open um, to go ahead and do some of my own work in that way. I was also, you know, on the clock because it was, you know, a full-time professor, but uh, I also used uh, some time with what was called uh, manufacturing MEP. So what is that called? Manufacturing the Extension. Extension. Thank you, yeah. Dave. Yeah, we've talked about this. Yes. So Purdue has the MEP, the Manufacturing Extension Program, and I used them. Um, I did consulting through them as a professor for Purdue. Uh, and I also did teaching. So I would teach uh, in the PLC 101. I basically took my PLC class and mm -hmm. turned it into a five-day course. And I taught all across the state for that. So Sorry, what's the MEP program? What is that? So, so the MEP program is in, in, the, in the states. Um, there is a university at, in most states, usually a state-run university. So Purdue is ours. Uh, that runs the agriculture and manufacturing extensions. So it, everyone recognizes in the United States, we all recognize what the, uh, the forage fair, it's run by the ag program of a university that's there in the state. Okay. And, and every, every, uh, every county in Indiana has an ag extension. So if I have a weird plant or some kind, I could call somebody and pay somebody to come out or I can call up the ag extension and they have an ag agricultural expert that can say, yeah, that's, that's not poisonous. You're okay. Or, oh, we've got bees. Okay. They send bees to, you know, someone to come get them and get them out of there rather than an exterminator to kill them off. Right. So 
and and then it's also the place where the farmers send their soil samples and all this this work is done that way through the state on that other side of the house there's the manufacturing extension program where we bring knowledge and and research and potential to to the to the state through the university from professors and this all came down from i think abraham lincoln actually signed the the document for that because they wanted to bring university knowledge from the east coast out to you know the 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 great barren west of indiana ohio illinois you know <laughs> kind of stuff so that we could advance advance that way so that's what that is and so yeah. after academia you decided to move on after all those courses taught uh yeah. why i guess like i'm, I'm it it seems why? really interesting right because you're passing down knowledge to many many individuals that i'm sure you're still connected with so yeah the teaching teaching is what i am born to do um mm -hmm. absolutely um uh, frankly though academia has some politics that got really old and i got tired of fighting them i had an offer i basically couldn't refuse that came through my consulting gig mm -hmm. uh to go start, uh, to go work with a startup out of New York called Odin Technologies. And they had a uh, field deployment team and I was gonna be their senior engineer on the field deployment team. And basically they needed an old guy like me that knew how analog, analog signals work to get it into the data stream so that they can do their data presentations and ML and all these other IOT type things. So I was working on that process. Um, so that was 2019. I did that, uh, and, and kind of to lay out where, where my, my burn in the, uh, the Raspberry Pi world, they had a great deal of fleet of not directly Raspberry Pis, but more industrial Raspberry Pis that were part of their data collection system. Uh, because that, that was an easy to use, and I'm going to use the term senior project solution to go out there and start doing proof of concept. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where I come down on saying it's not the it's not the ideal solution to move on to the next next step. You know, it's good for proof of concept. It's good to allow you to build and show fast and quick and do iterations and all the beautiful things that I love about startup. But as you move forward and you need something that lives, you know, 20, 30 years. Right. And I just talked to a guy that had a machine at, at, at Revion that was 23 years old and it had a PLC that I had never even heard the freaking name from. And the thing is moving and working and doing its job, right? I'm going to challenge that appeals. A, a Raspberry Pi isn't going to do that. It's not designed to be that way. It's not, it's not intended for that. It's intended for quick, fast lab setups. So we had that process and um, we moved on from that. And from moving on from that position, we kind of ended the field deployment team. Uh, so I had an option. I could have stayed. I decided not to. I decided to just go back to contracting and just machine builds and whatnot back here at home. Uh, and so in March of 2020, when the world started shutting down, I quit my job and moved to a different job. So um, and I did that for a while. Uh, but uh, I tried to actually help a gentleman who was an electrician uh, move his his service department uh, type contractor into a machine builder. And he decided after a year, he didn't want to do that anymore. There was more, there was enough money in three guys in a truck that he didn't want to have to go down and do the real engineering work. He's probably got a different plan on that, but that's the way it kind of worked in my mind. So we moved 
moved on from that place and I started hunting and finding my team that I'm going to do the next magic with. And that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, I'm with a company called Liveline, which is a subsidiary of Cooper Standard. And we're doing, we're part of the R&D team for that, uh, that process. And we're adding ML to our lines. It's a lot like what I kind of did at Odin, except, you know, uh, it's data collection and, and I'm working in uh, pulling in all the data there at Cooper Standard. And we've got, got a lot, great deal of sites all over the globe that I'm going to get this system put in on. So it's really cool. So, you so want to give us a nutshell now. Go ahead, Dave. I was going to say, I would love to, to talk more about the ML that uh, that mm -hmm. you guys are doing currently, John. But before that, I, I like we, we've got people in the chat that want to hear this conversation of our Raspberry Pi's industrial grade, right? Should we use board? Should we use, you know, all in one controllers? Uh, I, I think you kind of laid out your thoughts. I, I think Vlad might have some different thoughts. Vlad, you kind of want to share uh, it, for anyone watching you can see five of Vlad's, I think, Raspberry Pis in a 3D printed uh, holder on a DIN rail. So I, I feel like Vlad has a slightly different opinion. Vlad, would you kind of like to, to share your thoughts on what you've been doing or, or looking at doing uh, with Raspberry Pis? Well, I think uh, me and John, to some extent, agree that they're excellent for prototyping. I mm -hmm. would still be cautious of putting them in an industrial setting that being said, I still think that they're very cost-effective compared to other solutions. And I think when implemented properly, again, because you can very easily uh, create like dual redundancy or triple redundancy using the Linux platform, you can very easily swap them out if they were to fail. But obviously, as um, you know, experience shows in very hot environments, very humid environments, they are going to fail rather quickly unless you invest in a a ruggedized Raspberry Pi solutions of which the, there's multiple um, on the market. But yeah, I mean, I think ultimately what uh, the industry is looking for is rugged Linux computers. And usually the price point for them is not that uh, low as compared to the Raspberry Pi. And that's why everybody seems to gravitate towards them. But obviously, um, I guess the price, the lower price point has a trade-off. So John, what are your thoughts on that? So, so first of all, I and and when we first met Vlad, I, I told you I'm I am often the the old man screaming at a cloud, and 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 I get that, and I hate that I'm that guy, right? Uh, but but as and and I've been I've been through a lot. I've been through the PLC fives and all the way up, right, and, and back and forth. So. I've been through the the growth of I have nothing but serial communications all the way to Ethernet and, and all this like a lot of people do and have been but so I'm I'm cautious on a lot of pieces. I got burned pretty hard on the pies. Um, while while you're you're correct in that the uh, you you need to keep it cool and all these other good things in an air conditioned space and in a very hot space my pies were all cooking at the same temperature. And mm. so it wasn't about the space. It was about the nature of the pie itself. And as I understand now the, the USB three has a separated UART, but part of the biggest problem we were running into is that the UART was used, was serving both ethernet and serial comps. And so we were pegging the serial at envelopes edge and we were pegging the ethernet at envelopes edge and it was just baking the board. That's that's basic board level electrical. So if I put on my, take off my electrician hat 
you know, and, and my three phase and controls guy hat. And I put on my Ohm's law and resistor and down to my microprocessing hat. I go, what kind of a Jack of all trades <laughs> went and designed the board that way. And it's somebody who doesn't understand or, or somebody who uses a board and designs a board for, for in-lab use, not for production use. It wasn't designed for that. It's open source enough. So if you want to use it for production, go make a production board for that, right? That's, that's what that's for. And, and so, you know, I, I, I put on my embedded processor guy hat and I go, this isn't what we're designed this for. This was designed for prototyping and moving on. It's not like you're going to go out there and take NI DAC systems and, and MATLAB and say, here, that's good enough. No, I can, I can make my algorithms and use all that and do this process through that lab data stuff and then take that and go build the product. That's the process. And that's my old man shaking the fist. You know I mean? We got to get out there, get it iterated, get it fast, show it works, get the money, get the funding, make the product, sell it. Well, let me ask you this. Was temperature the major limiting factor? Because you could have also, and I guess this is more of a question, could you have stuck a big enough heat sink to dissipate the heat, right? Because you could calculate how much heat is being dissipated it, by the processor. And it, it was, it was the temp on the chip. So it, it right. wasn't like I was measuring. It was, it was the reported temp coming from the chip and the reported temp coming from the chip was 20 degrees C above natural, but above rated temp. And so even with a proper heat sink, there was nothing that you could do. Even with it open in an air conditioned room and all that fun stuff, fan blowing on it, it was still cooking at 85. Mm. So, you know, I mean, it was just a nature of the beast. These things were eventually going to start dropping off. And, and this is the other piece that I've been talking, you know, the data in the cloud and everything that we do there is awesome, but it's only as good as what I can grab from the machine and hand to you. And if my pipeline going up that way fails, everything else sucks. No, nothing else matters. That's the beauty of IoT. And that's the problem of IoT. The weakest link is the, this old RS-485 stuff. And that's where it is. So, so that's when, you know, before we cut into the talk here, that's kind of where I was going with you and saying, the first question is, what do I already have? What data do I already have? And, and I have it on the PLC. It's there on the PLC. The PLC is using the logic for it, but I have sensors on there. So why do I need to add other sensor? Why do I have to add other sensor points when I already have sensor points giving me the information I need? So you have to harvest it off what's already existing there. And that's hard. And, you know, I think you were going down that route saying Rockwell isn't open. It's not Linux. It doesn't MQTT. There's a lot of all this going on there. You're, you're right. So then my answer is what your job is, is to go and harvest that data. What my job, what I look at it is I have to harvest the data. I have to see what's first there, harvest the data, get it into a central database. Once it's in the central database, once it's ethernet based, right? On the floor, then I share it up. So right. the other problem with the MQTT, the, you know, this distributed uh, Raspberry Pis across the board is each of them are separate pipes going up and depending upon Wi-Fi and all this other, I currently have microwaves <clears throat> that are vulcanizing equipment or vulcanizing the product that's going through. These are going at, you know, you, you can't Wi-Fi in that space. You can't Wi-Fi in that building because I've got a microwave that stretches 300 yards. Mm -hmm. That it's, it, it just, Wi-Fi don't work, man. 
Uh, so, so raspberry pieing the snot out of that is no good. My, my cell phone doesn't even work in that space. So these are, these are just the facts of the matter. You have to, you have to smell it and taste it and know what you already have and then dump it up. And so to me, it's, it's about a making sure that we understand that the machine that's there is already doing its job. It's already working. It's already making product and it's, it's paying its bills. Anything that we do in IOT is making it pay better. And first of all, pay for the product that I'm putting on there. And second of all, pay for my salary. And then after that it's gravy, right? So those are, we're, we're, we're eking out pennies where, because they've already squeezed all the dollars out of it at this point. So that's the first thing that data scientists and the people in the cloud that are doing stuff need to understand. They're not coming in and solving my problem. I didn't have a problem, right? I'm, I just need to be better. Um, two, there's already data there. Let's mine it. Let's use it. Let's gather it, get it in the way and get it to a central spot. Because if I can think of it that way, I can get you more data, right? If I can think about it on this line, if I have this line, what do I have to do to get data from that little analog controller that I can go get an RS-485 card for? And maybe that's an appropriate use for a Raspberry Pi. I don't think so. I think it would be better to go get a Wago or go get something small, cheap, little, little, you know, even that stinking click that's on the back of my wall, right? Get that that's designed for industrial space, get it gathered, um, and then get it passed up to something that's an IPC at this point, right? So now you're in the Beckoffs, the BNRs, and those other locations. Or just go ahead and have the remote I.O. that's up and down your line that's doing all this. Once you're in that spot, once you're in that place, when you start thinking of it in that manner and using the, the tools that we already have on our shelf, right? And getting it to the point where now it's data collected. Now I'm doing all of that in level three and below. I'm still on my side of the firewall. I haven't even passed it through. I don't have all these little pipes going up and up and up and up and up. I'm making my, I'm making the local IT guy happier. I didn't make him dress out Wi-Fi all over the place. You know, there's all these other pieces to that pattern that when you say, let's just throw raspberry pies out there. And I know that's not what you're saying, but when you throw the raspberry pies out there and you do that, there's all these other cascading problems that are caused just because it was a quick, simple lab level, POC level solution. We have to put a product out there. Sure, yeah, I guess like my idea of that infrastructure would have been like multiple pies going into like an IPC, right? Oh. That would sit also on the OT side and then that would funnel your data into like the IT, whatever database. So, so use, use the remote ethernet based IO that goes to the IPC because that's that's why it was created for right yeah I, so, I mean there's there's multiple ways i mean like so what i've seen uh, as a critical component for getting data i guess from the plant floor it's reliability right so your assets don't necessarily have the best of connections and there's usually problems i guess getting from that like field device to your database which either sits on prem or sits on the cloud right so you want that edge node to not only be like a pipe funnel whatever you call it you also want it to kind of buffer and maybe to some degree condition the data right because yep. again you have to have your algorithms either you can you can write them on the plcs right so if you have a plc in your machine and you want to do for example on change data so 
that's not native to, let's say, Alan Bradley. And you can write some fairly straightforward algorithms on the PLC, but a lot of times on the older PLCs, you don't have the capability. On the newer PLCs, you don't always have the space. And so you need some intermediary device that would do that for you, right? So it's yeah, not... Absolutely. The the PLC that's on the line is the one that's doing the job making the product. So exactly. don't mess with it. Exactly. You can pull data from it and harvest data from it. I'm not saying add algorithms to it, right? You, even if it even if it is a Davis standard extruder, right? Mm -hmm. They don't want they don't want me to change. If I start changing I/O and, and logic on their PLC, guess who owns that PLC now, right? I I don't want to do that. But I can ask them, hey, can you give me read capabilities for this memory block and dump it over here, you know, allow me to pull it here through OPC, whatever, you know, these, these capabilities, right? Sounds like you don't want to come in at 3 a.m. That's, that's what right. I'm hearing. Right, no, no, that's the other piece is I'm not, that is, I am not the, the manufacturing controls engineer. That's a farmer. I don't do farming. I build stuff. I come in, I, I let you have it. I show you how it works and then you maintain it. I'm not a, I'm not a maintainer. I'm a builder and I move on. I didn't, I didn't stay at the jail. I didn't maintain the jail. <laughs> right. I, I, I came in, you, you paid for an annual PM. And what I did is I walked around and showed you what you didn't take care of for that you know entire year. Right. And so we, and we took care of it for those two days and you paid me dearly for it. And then I moved on to the next place. That's, no, I don't want, I have to bring a product to them to pull the data that then goes to, to, you know, the data cloud, right? I, and you are absolutely true and correct in that if you have some now defined as mission critical, right? Because, because as soon as you add extra, extra gravy to the line, it becomes mission critical, right? So now those are things that it has to just work. You have to have that local web server, that local uh, algorithm, that local short-term storage pace so that you get a week's worth of yep. data. No, you, it doesn't hurt the uh, process engineer. It doesn't hurt the manager of the building for him, for him to call me up and say, dude, I lost the internet. What's going to happen? I go, you only get a week's worth, man. Go call Comcast and get it fixed. That ain't on me, right? You know, so, and, and that, that's part of my contractor in my mind. I never, I never want to leave someone hang, right? But I also want to make sure it ain't my fault. That's how right. you come in and become, I don't want to be a firefighter either. What I want to be is a hero and a solutions master, right? And I, Elisa and I kind of got into a, a conversation kind of on this a little bit. She asked about, she asked a question on LinkedIn about, um, uh, how do you fuse your IO? My answer is if you're fusing your IO, you did everything wrong because you're, you're using a fuse wrong. A fuse protects wires, not inputs. Uh, uh, you know, that's what it's designed. Let's open up the NFPA and find NFPA 70, you know, the NEC and find out what an overcurrent device is designed to do. What you're worried about is transient spikes that are coming back because something foobarred down line. Yes. It's, it was the sacrificial lamb. Yes, it saved the day. No, the answer isn't to go grab another fuse, shove it in there and walk away because that's just the canary in the, that's the canary in the mine. The same answer is, Hey, I got another bird, put it in here, take out the dead one. Keep working guys. It's methane. You know I mean? You, you got to solve the problem. 
and and not be the ten, not be the firefighter. You gotta, I mean, hopefully, you at least you up. put in the fuse of the same rating, right? Because we all know. <laughs> no, no, you got to go up because the last one blew. You need exactly. a larger fuse so it doesn't blow. And that's blow. the problem with it, right? You just go up because I, I, uh, and then it gets down to I got I take a number twelve wire and I cut it and just shoved it in there, right? So now yeah, it's fifteen the amps. It's all blowing. good. Or yeah, thirty. The fuses, the fuses keep blowing, John. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. No, no, that's not the problem. And and I understand the mentality that gets us to that point, because again, that's the farmer, because he's got to mm-hmm. keep the machine running. I get it. But it it's, it's about now there's the teacher that kicks into me. Let's solve the problem because you don't want to wake up at three in the morning. We'll solve the problem. We'll spend some serious time finding the solution. And I understand, well, it costs me thousand dollars an hour, or whatever the number is, the dollar amount per hour that the machine is down. Yeah. But Let's take it down now in a controlled condition when you can deal with it, fix mm-hmm. our problem. And you're going to probably over time, because you're not going to have to keep replacing those fuses and having half starts, half starts, half starts, you're going to, so, you're going to pay that money back. That's what Dave's, you know, going to do the math for you and show you that the value is. Absolutely. And so I, I love that, John. And I, I generally agree on the concept of run it all into a data collector IPC, so something a- along those lines. Um, but I, I think the big question becomes scalability, right? I think the the or I, I think you know people look at the pie because it's you can buy a twenty dollar pie and you don't you don't necessarily think about all the other costs going in, but you can nearly infinitely scale a twenty dollar pie and kind of throw it on the line and put some sensors on it and collect data and push that up so all of the data is standardized versus having to go in and actually interface with the PLCs. And so we interface with the PLCs and we pull it into a data collector IPC and then that gets pushed up and th- there's there's a lot more work. And, and I, I am not going to disagree when we say that it's the right way to do the job or theoretically the right way to do the job. But, but what would you say to the people who say, you know, Raspberry Pis are so much cheaper. It's just easier to slap one of them or 50 or 500 of them in than it is to, to go through and try to scale across 50 different facilities. Until you have 50 different clients that are dependent upon your entire fleet and you're paying two guys, two salaries of doing nothing but going to the fleet management and rebooting them to keep your data flowing because they're overheating. That, so when you start to when you start to compound that, if you all you are if all you're doing if if we have got Dave, John, and Vlad manufacturing facility, heck yeah, let's go ahead and just use some pies because you guys are gonna we're gonna keep it up and running no problem. But now if you're you're going, it doesn't scale. That's the exact answer that I have to you. It doesn't scale. If you have to now be in charge of making sure that that data pipeway is the one thing, the weak link of everything in the cloud, anything Mm -hmm. that you're doing, you're doing machine learning, you're doing just OEE, you're doing just dashboarding. None of that is worth a damn once you lose one of those, you know, each one of them, you start losing them. And so do you want to have a fleet of trucks and dudes that are out there replacing them all over where they're at? Or do you want to spend the time to manage it and do it right on your downtimes? So you spend the time, you do it right, and you bring it on, you bring it on, you bring it on, you bring it on, and it's done, right? So, and and then then you have a facility and a thing that runs for 23 years, and you can sell to someone next. You know, th- those are the processes that I have the answer to that. It's not wrong when you do something really fast as a firefighter. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
you solved the problem and you moved on, but that's not the long-term solution. It's not scalable. No, I appreciate that. But Vlad, I, I know that we have to continue to move on, but do you have any uh, last thoughts on this other than we probably need to have six more hours of manufacturing hub conversation on it? I mean, I'd be curious to benchmark it myself, to be honest with you, with the, with the temperature. I'm curious. Um, and again, I'll maybe I'll do some research off, uh, off camera if there have been solutions, because I would assume that it's the same problem that everyone's running into, right? It, it running over the temp that it's been specified to do. Uh, so I'm, I'm wondering if there has been a solution that has been developed uh, for that specific purpose. But I mean, I agree if that's the limiting factor and that's indeed the case of what happens, then obviously it doesn't make sense to have a fleet of people constantly servicing them and making sure that they're running. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think that's, you're obviously losing on the, on the cost difference, right? That you're saving upfront. So it, it always costs more to do it right at the beginning. No. Then it does to do it wrong 27 times before you decide we can't afford to do it wrong anymore. And, and I'm going to say it's not wrong, right? It, I, I said it has its place. It has its tool, right? How many hammers do I have in my shop? I've got a claw hammer, ball peen hammer, a rubber mallet, and, and, a, and an engineering hammer. And all of them can drive a nail, but some of them aren't designed for that, right? And only one of them can peen metal appropriately, right? It's got the process. Only one is going to pull a nail, right? It's got the right use, but they're all a hammer. So, so that's the real answer that I have to the case in, and a, a, a smart professor once told me, or he was just a mentor. He wasn't a professor, but you know, there's, there's the glass of water. It's half full. It's half empty. That's the normal population. The engineer says the vessel is twice the size of what it needs to be. Right. It, it, it isn't, you, you got to have the right tool for the job that you're looking for. And you got to look at the constraints that you want. If the answer is, this is a POC and I need to prove to the CEO, the COO that this is a good thing to do. Yes, Vlad, go use Raspberry Pis because I can get that done really quickly on a Saturday. But if it's because I want something for long-term, well, then I need to have worked in and baked into the description to the COO. I'm going to have to do this and we're going to roll into an IPC and we're going to go do this. And we're going to go down that entire route of the unified namespace and moving it into the cloud the right way and doing all these things. And the reason I do that, if I can pull it all into one spot in one place in my house, right. Then I've got it all right there. Once it's all right there. If I decided I wanted to use Odin technologies, I wanted to use Liveline, I wanted to use site machine. They all just go right here. And now you're, you're interchangeable. If you go and you distribute all these, these raspberry pies, well, I've got an MQTT broker. That's got to go to this, got to go to that. You know, that's, you've got this other problem. So it's an interconnectivity piece, right? It's a, it's a future, it's a future proofing and allowing you to be able to say, I've I got choices for data collection. I've got choices for ML along the way. Well, I mean, like it's it's like a it's a multi-level stack, right? And your lower levels need to be right in order for the upper layers to make sense. And as you said, like the data is obviously going to be um, garbage if you're not piping it in correctly. But I mean, I, I think I think we're on the same page. I think maybe I just haven't experienced you know the same hardware failures on the Pi as you have, so I certainly you know cannot relate uh, maybe to those challenges because I haven't seen it on a on a commercial scale where you had them distributed on multiple sites. So perhaps, you know, I, I would definitely be like 100% convinced that they're not ready for the industry if I was to go through that. But no, I, 
I agree with you that it definitely needs to be the right tool for the job. But I want to, um, John, I want to talk a little, Dave. But, but I, we, I absolutely want to talk about what John is doing now. Yes. But, but, but before that, I need you to give me that awkward laugh so we can tell everyone who this episode is sponsored by. <laughs> Perfect. So um, everyone, this episode and the theme is sponsored by Copy Automation. They deliver modern developer tools for industrial automation. Uh, it's built for automation and controls engineers. Uh, their flagship offering provides Git-based source control for PLC programming. It's currently uh, native and fully functioning with Alan Bradley Rockwell, as well as Siemens and Codasys. Uh, functionally, it includes version control, change visibility, and collaboration designed to streamline how industrial machines are commissioned and operated, resulting in faster delivery and maximized uptime. And, and John, I know that you have a little bit of experience uh, w with Adam and Matt, who are actually in the uh, in the chat. Uh, They're really cool, Adam. Hey, Matt. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I, and so the, the first conversation I had with Adam and Matt was uh, shortly. It included a conversation. It would included the first conversation that you had with those guys. Do you want to? Uh, do you kind of want to share how, uh, how how that conversation went and a little bit of maybe the research that you did, the the conversations you had after that? So yeah. So. Adam and I had a shared contact. And so Adam needed somebody with industrial experience to kind of uh, give a yay or a nay or a yes or, a, you know, kind of a thing with what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And he showed it to me and I said, yeah, I know what Git is. Why would I have anything to do with that? There's no reason for that to exist. Why are you doing that, man? I, I appreciate it. You're, you're off base. Uh, I, the, the OT folk don't do that. So, um, but along with that, uh, he and I and Matt uh, had conversations along the way and, and helped help guide where, where they're at. And I, I, I think I, I hope I helped guide. <laughs> I think I, I at least provided a little bit of insight on, on what goes inside my brain and, uh, and they did an awesome job. I am so proud. And I, I, I screwed up, Matt. I apologize. I didn't wear your t-shirt today. So I, uh, oh. So, so uh, with that, John, you, you kind of said, you know, your first thought was, was absolutely not the old guys in, and you, you don't really seem that old, John, but the, the old guys of industrial automation <laughs> refused to change, refused to do anything new. I, I would take it that you have kind of softened on that stance. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot to it. Uh, there, there needs to be source control. Um, absolutely. And, and the whole idea is, I mean, if I go back to thinking about where I was with the jails, mm -hmm. uh, it would be been great to be able to just dump up and say, Hey, you know, I've got this commit done and this jail's good. And instead of having, uh, uh, here's, here's St. Joe County, Indiana, version one, St. Joe mm -hmm. County, Indiana, version one dated today, St. Joe, you know, uh, and that's, mm -hmm. I mean, that's what we did. Right. And we continued with that pattern and, and uh, hoped that Rockwell back files were going to be good enough for us to remember where we were. So, yeah, it's it's worthwhile. It is a good idea. We have a question. Uh, I, I wanted to throw this in while we're not too far from that conversation. So Philip asks, are you aware of any smaller, more reliable solutions that are capable of popular protocols in order to send data to its respective destination other than purely the Raspberry Pi. And we, we had one answer from Benson, 
Uh, so he recommended the Rio from Opto 22. But what are your, what are your thoughts, John, on that uh, on that front? Or w did the company find something to migrate to? Or are they still in Raspberry Pis, maybe? And what would be your uh, thoughts? No, they they are not on Raspberry Pis. Hence the reason the four deployment team does not exist. Mm -hmm. um, no, so the the easiest and and I've seen the Optos and I haven't yet played with them. Um, they're on my list, mm -hmm. uh, but. It's a different world. I've moved on from that space. So now that would be in my in my free time, somewhere around the 45th or 6th hour of a day that I would be working on something like that. Oh, but, so plenty um, of time. Yeah, plenty of time. I, I run on a 36-hour day, generally speaking. Um, so, yeah, no, we didn't. What what the answer is, in as far as in the startup space, is you decide, are you going to be a hardware or be a software solution? And mm -hmm. so that's kind of the mentality that I have going on right now. Um, I know how to architect the solution. And so I'm going to be that architect, just like, like it was in the building of, of writing the spec of how it needs to be. And then I'll ask about four, two, two or three of the local talent in each of my spaces where, where I'm going to go and, and say, uh, what are you going to do? Can you do this? And then help manage that for the client. Um, the idea is the client does their job. They make their product and they don't have time to manage all that. And so if I have a client that comes in and says, Pillar, I need, I need your solution. I want your solution. I'll, I'm going to go sniff test them. First off, do you have an MES? You know, if you have, you know, what do you got already? What are you doing already? And I might be able to go ahead and hook to that and pull through and hand it off to, to the engineering team. Um, but uh, if I can't, then I have to say, well, we're, we're going to, we're going to help manage and architect your solution. I might call up a Dave and say, Hey, do you happen to be over in this side of the country? And you got time to deal with these guys, you know, that kind of a deal and, and pass that off so that they can get themselves to be an IOT ready site. So being an IOT ready site is more important. I think in the long run in building the cables and the wires and the transmission lines to get us to the power plant of the cloud then hurrying up and getting a bunch of individual little pieces. So I, maybe, maybe this is another answer, kind of algorithm, uh, uh, an idea that uh, analogy that I have in my head. I kind of feel like we're at that spot where, you know, we got Edison solutions, we got Westinghouse solutions. I don't really know what we're going to buy, but, but I know we need to have wires mm. and I know we have to size them appropriately. I know I got to get some kind of outlets to these locations and I got to get it all pulled to a power power panel right and once i do that that's kind of the part of this industry 4.0 that we're in and this is when when i say i'm the old guy well i'm the guy that's going to help build that transmission line the distribution system and not be dumb and not connect to the east and the west and just be texas right you know we want to ah. we, we, <laughs> we, ah. we want to make sure that we line it all up all right i don't know if it's ac or dc i don't know if it's vhs or beta i don't know any of that but I do know that if I get it into a database that is a generally recognizable database solution, I'm going to leave the client with their best level future-proof solution along the way. And that really ultimately is what matters to me is moving that next step forward because that's what we got to do. And, and not to harp on it, Raspberry Pis don't fix that for me. They're, they're, just, they're just Edison coming in and saying, buy my power plant, buy my light buy my stuff, let's move on. And I'm going to go kill Jumbo and show you that AC is deadly. You know, um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's, that's the process 
that that I that I look at it. So I think the opto is kind of cool. Um, I think I think the Beckoffs have a good place in this spice. You know, lower level Beckoffs that are just really cool little uh, PCs. I think BNR might be good. I haven't played with those yet. Um, I, the Wago on my back. I bought that Wago and I have yet to even power it up. So you know, I haven't even had a chance to play with that one yet. Maybe it'll be all right. I have a feeling that the the Beckoffs and, and the Optos and the BNRs are going to be better choices. That being said, I am freaked out like no tomorrow that an IPC is even talked about as being a controller for a machine because I lived through the Rockwell soft PLC lifetime and the Windows blue screens of death that shut down jails. So let's, uh, you know, let's, I'm also been burned there, but I'm coming to, to like it a little better as we go on. I don't know if IPCs, yeah, I'm on the same page with you on that one. I don't know if IPCs are ready for controls per se. I would, like, I'd be more of a proponent of using them for, for data collection, right? And more of a, like, again, pipeline for your data analytics. But yeah, I'm, I'm hearing about that too. And I think there's some, like, gray areas that are starting to get uh, maybe stepped over. But I, I haven't seen it maybe in, a, in an industrial environment yet where it's doing pure controls. Yeah, I, I had I had a lot of conversation with a Beckoff salesman named John Tran. And he, he walked me through a lot of it. He listened really, he listened to my my problems. And and the one benefit I have is there there's a Windows version on there that's been locked. It doesn't ever will it never accept updates. And really that's the problem, right? If if it just randomly grabs an update and what does this do to my machine? That's a problem, right? You can't do that. And that's what was happening on our soft PLCs back in the day. That's what was going on there? I've heard I, some similar opinions of, of that. Yeah. Go ahead. No, Dave. I I think all this is interesting. Uh, I I I appreciate Phil's uh, Phil's question and Benson's comment. I would be interested. I've always kind of considered maybe the the groove as a as a good solution for something like this, but perhaps this warrants some additional testing. I don't know what the testing would necessarily look like, but I feel like that might be an interesting theme as we get further into uh, into the year as to some, some testing to see if people would be interested in doing some comparisons and uh, maybe getting some experts on to figure out what the, the best actual solution looks like or or maybe what a series of solution lo solutions look like. And maybe we can answer the questions re-IPC and, uh, and control. Uh, I think everyone who does control with IPCs are going to be on one side. I think everyone who doesn't is going to be on the opposite side. But uh, but maybe maybe it warrants some some testing and some additional conversation. I think that line is called the Rocky Mountains. Everybody on the West Coast is like, yeah, IPCs. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, yeah, but most of the people that I know are are in the Rocky Mountains, in fact, in and in West. But but I think that that warrants uh, some additional conversation, and maybe Vlad and I will have to have some conversation and reach out to some people to see if they would be interested in being part of some theoretical thing that we are apparently talking about live, uh, live on the air um, at go. the moment for some reason. But so uh, everyone's going to have to forgive us. Uh, every time John and I get on, we just talk and talk and talk. And we, we have now hit nearly the hour mark. And I'm about to ask John uh, the amazing things that he's doing. So everyone buckle up. We probably have 10 more minutes left. John, can you tell us about the awesome things that you're doing at LiveLine? Because we would be remiss if we did not ask you this question. Right. So we are we are uh, in the process of of doing the things that I, I didn't quite think were going to be likely possible. But in a very controlled way, we are 
we are to a point where we are taking over a line and putting it on auto control. So we have about four lines that are out there doing it. And it's, it's really kind of cool. It's, it's amazing. It, it has all the problems that, you know, Vlad was saying that we have to worry about uh, you, the, you, where do you put the controller? Where does the control exist? What happens and, and all the fallbacks that have to exist there. It's not a lot that I can really say about it down the round, but yeah, it, we're, we're running a machine from the cloud with some machine learning. So it's really cool. That, that's amazing. I, I would hope that we can continue to have some additional conversations as you guys get further into it. And maybe as you guys get a couple of case studies, I, I, you might be the list of people I know actually doing anything that even comes close to machine learning I in was, actual production. I was um, excited to be invited into the team. So yeah, this was great. Absolutely. So I would say that we should absolutely uh, keep in contact with you and what you and the team at Liveline are doing and hope maybe before the end of the year, early next year, we can get back together and, uh, and talk about what, what I hope would be a success story uh, maybe you guys will have have a case study that we can talk about. Uh, and I think that the the point that you made earlier, John, was very good. Uh, that you know, just one, only one good point, John. But no, I, I think the point of by the time that we've gotten to like IoT, by the time we've gotten to machine learning or artificial intelligence, we've already saved the dollars, right? The the, the folks like us have come in and we've built MES systems and we should have hopefully saved the dollars, the, the, the big rolls of money. Hopefully that will be saved. And by the time we get to a machine learning or artificial intelligence solution, we're looking to kind of squeeze out the pennies and best case scenario, the pennies are going to add up to significantly more than the cost of the many dollars that we've put in to get to that point. Yeah, and and that's absolutely the point of of the whole process. First of all, resources are going down, right? Mm -hmm. So the in, input of cost of, is always going to go up on, on raw material, right? It's not going to come down. So you, you've already squeezed as much as you can out of that spot. So yeah, we, we got to get it in on the scrap. We got to get it in on the efficiency of the, of the run. And if you're running at 97% efficient, 98% efficient is where we're aiming, you know, yep. for the next, next step, 97 and a half percent more, you know, efficiency is, yeah. is good. And you're talking about dollars per day, per line, you know, per shift, you know, mm -hmm. once you start going into that compounding, everyone knows that matters along the way. Yep. Um, electricity is more expensive. I got an entire class. I, I didn't even say, you know, Hey, I teach, I also teach classes in Germany while I'm, while I'm doing all this on my fun stuff. And it's all focused on energy and energy use. Okay. Uh, all the, the costs aren't, aren't going to go down. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we have to be conservative on, on the resources that we have available. And that's what industry 4.0 is going to allow us to do. Absolutely. I, I, I love that. I've got a couple of, of final questions um, and I'll, first I'll ask Vlad if he's got a question, but Benson has come back with a comment saying that their customers are putting Rios where Raspberry Pis have failed, uh, particularly if they need a few points of software configurable IO, and there's also Node-RED and, and the need to secure devices on the network. So I think that that is, that is interesting. Uh, we, we had Benson on one of the earlier episodes. Benson, you'll, you'll have to forgive me. I don't remember what episode it was, but it was, it was a great conversation about what they're doing in manufacturing. They're in California, John, so don't worry. They're absolutely west of the Rocky Mountains. Uh, but, uh, but, but Vlad, before I kind of uh, ask the rest of the wrap-up questions, do you have any other uh, last questions for John? 
No, I, I honestly really enjoy like where the conversation was going. I think it'd be, you know, like one idea that kind of sputtered in my head. It would be almost interesting to create some kind of a chart, you know, that you usually find in technical manuals. Like I know Rockwell has this, but they would say, mm -hmm. if your solution requires this, like go with this platform. If you're looking for this, like go with this platform. So it'd almost be very interesting to see because I think there's a different, you know, line of products. And even within the Opto 22 family, as we've mentioned a couple of times, those, I think, controllers would serve like slightly different applications. And so it'd be really cool to have a very large chart, I think, put by a third party that would say, you know, if you have like th these requirements, like go this route, if you have like these requirements, go like slightly different route. Obviously, it would require some kind of uh, bench testing and you'd probably have to power on that wago. But uh, I think like <laughs> as a long term project, it would be a really cool um, like, again, because I think like the industry will self-select, but I'm sure there's different ponds of people that are doing the same research and figuring out what makes sense for them. And so to aggregate all that uh, research would be, I think, really, really interesting. But in any case, I, I don't have a question. I think we're over the time Absolutely. as is, but we can certainly continue this conversation uh, later on. Absolutely. Yeah. It feels like Vlad just uh, committed at least himself and maybe all of us to a significant additional workload in all of John's free time. Uh, but, but John, speaking of your free time, uh, you, you were a professor. Um, you, you still teach classes. Uh, do you have, I like to call this section our non-sponsored Audible uh, segment, in which I ask you if you've got any book recommendations, preferably in English, not German, because I, I know Vlad speaks English and French. I don't know where German is on that list. Uh, but if you've got a couple of good book recommendations, Vlad's going to go purchase them, as well as, as well as I'm sure a few other of our listeners. What, uh, what do you have for us? Well, well, first of all, my my German university classes are in English, so let's 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 be clear there. I can order a beer and, and do some banking, but that's about it. <laughs> um, so what I've always done, and 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 I'm I think you're kind of hinting at what what we can look at for technology of today. You know, those kind of books that I would be pulling off the bookshelf now. What I've done with my students is force them back to thinking about the the books that they should have read in high school and they didn't. So what I like to think on is, first of all, Frankenstein. I'm making my son read Frankenstein for fact and, and actually understanding that Frankenstein's a doctor and not the monster and the whole process of that. There's a lot going on with our technology that that is an important story to read and understand. Uh, Lord of the Flies and uh, Animal Farm and a little bit of Grapes of Wrath isn't too bad because, oh, and H.G. Wells' Time Machine, because I am a proud Morlock and a thought criminal, uh, 1984, and a, a disciple of Tom Joad. So, yeah, there it is. So, um, oh, I, I love it. I love it. And, and a point uh, for later discussion the next time John comes back is we're going to also we're going to talk about his love of Star Trek. And maybe how he and Adam, to go back to the first episode of this theme, probably bonded over their, their strange love of Star Trek. And like there, the... there was a solid bond there, yes. Okay. Now, now, now we understand how uh, how the industry goes around. No, I, I appreciate it, John. This has been great. Uh, one last question for you is, is who should reach out and, and connect with you? Uh, what, what do you want to help people with? What do you need help with? Um uh, I do. I do need some teammates. So if if what I've mentioned uh, sounds a little interesting, I, I need some teammates at Liveline. Um, I am uh, also 
like I said, I, I do energy and energy audits and that kind of stuff. That's kind of one of the free things I do on the side. So and, and anytime you want to cause any controversy about some new technology, I probably will <laughs> mention something on, on, on LinkedIn and get yelled at somehow or, or blocked or, you know, who knows um, you, you, you know, that Dave. So yes. I, I, I am a, I am a, a shaker and a mover and I, I tick people off. So and okay. I don't mean to, I just, <laughs> tell my truths so he's just like that no no that, that is amazing i appreciate it john you and i apparently need to have a conversation about energy audits as that has come up um in, in non-manufacturing hub uh uh conversation and so you and i need to talk about that later uh but no thank you john thank you for everyone who has continued to listen through this uh this has been episode 31 of manufacturing hub with me dave and this guy down here over here vlad uh john pillar thank you very much thank you to copia uh for sponsoring the theme if you guys have somehow managed to make it this far please give, leave us a like subscribe we're supposed to ask for five stars on itunes because we're semi-professional podcasters kind of sort of not really at this point point. and until then we will see everyone next week thank hey, you thank you everyone yep